Everybody, welcome into To The Point. We're all doing well on this Thursday evening. We are heading into a very action-packed weekend. We are here to preview it all tonight. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to the NFL. We got something to talk about UFC 297, first pay-per-view of 2024, this coming weekend in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We got a big NBA trade. We got some good games tonight in the National Hockey League, which we will talk about. So we have the American Express with the PGA Tour locked and loaded. And the Australian Open was crazy this morning with a match that almost went to 4 a.m. local time in Melbourne with Daniil Medvedev. So we have a lot to get into. If you hear... Another voice throughout the podcast is because Dirk, the to the point mascot, is in here with me. She's a, a bit, bit clingy today. If you're watching the video, you can see that she is she's here. She wanted to be around me, which is nice for a change. Uh, but she wanted to she wanted to cut. She might leave, but she's here for now. So if you do hear a bark, if you do hear something, that is Dirk. But Hopefully she'll be quiet because that's what I wanted to do. But that's, if you haven't seen, if you're new to the podcast, Dirk is my dog. And she's a miniature dashing and she's about 10 pounds. But she's she's a mean 10 pounds, a mean 10 pounds. So, yeah, that's what's happening tonight. But let's start the show today with the NFL. We're going to get to the picks. We're going to preview the games for this upcoming weekend, but I want to start with the Dallas Cowboys, who made news last night retaining Mike McCarthy. Press release, Jerry Jones said that Mike McCarthy will remain as the Dallas Cowboys head coach and will enter the fifth year of his fifth-year contract, so he will likely walk into next season as a lame duck head head coach with the Cowboys like Jason Garrett did. In his last season. This is interesting. Cowboys are coming off one of the more embarrassing losses in recent memory. Getting completely pummeled by the Green Bay Packers. The game was over at halftime. Jordan Love had the best quarterback rating by any quarterback in Packers history in a playoff game. And they've had some pretty good quarterbacks in that organization. So it becomes even more impressive. But Mike McCarthy, 12 and 12, 12 and 5, 12 and 5, 12 and 5, two division titles, but has never made it past the divisional round, has never got a number one seed in the NFC, and he's been mediocre. He's been paired with Dan Quinn for some time, and they can get to they can get to team to a certain level, but not over the top, so it made you think, well. Bill Belichick on the market, Mike Vrabel on the market, Pete Carroll on the market, Ben Johnson on the market. Maybe the Cowboys will take a look, but Jerry Jones does love to keep his coaches, believes in his people, and he's deciding to stick with Big Mike. I think this is a mistake. I think Mike McCarthy has shown what he is as a head coach. He's bad at clock management. 
He's a decent offensive coordinator. And he can build a really good regular season team. Second seed in the NFC. But when the going gets tough, when it's not cutting time, the Cowboys lose every big game they play in. And it doesn't matter if they're on the road, they're at home, they lose that game. So to me, to say, hey, we're going to stick with this guy. And Dak Prescott's signed. He's going to be our starting quarterback next year. We're going to have C.D. Lamb. Micah Parsons, we might extend this offseason. We'll have Demarcus Lawrence. How is this team going to change all that much? I think the Cowboys are really talented. They're one of the best teams in the NFL, even though they're out and they're not still playing. They are top to bottom. They will get Trayvon Diggs back, who's one of the best corners in the NFL. That will help them. Mozzie Smith will be in the second season, who is great at stuffing the run for parts of the season. Nose tackle out of Michigan. But it's going to be a similar roster. It's going to be the same head coach. The only change might be is that Dan Quinn might take a head coaching job elsewhere like he he could have the last two years, but he's turned them down. She might have a new defensive coordinator with the same guy calling the offense, the same head coach, the same stupid owner. What's going to change? Bill Belichick, for instance, is reportedly meeting with the Atlanta Falcons this weekend for a second interview. He did a remote interview with Arthur Blank, the team owner, and now he's flying to Atlanta to meet with the team this weekend, to meet with the other higher-ups. That sounds to me like he's going to be Atlanta Falcons head coach. I could be wrong, but you're getting a second interview and he hasn't talked to anybody else, as far as we know, according to Adam Schefter. So it seemed like he was set on the Atlanta Falcons. Well, if I'm 72-year-old Bill Belichick and I want to win another Super Bowl and I want to contend, the Dallas Cowboys are a better option than the Falcons. The Falcons don't have a quarterback. The Falcons have the eighth pick in the draft. They have to make moves. They need to maneuver to put themselves in a spot to get a quarterback. I like Drake London. I really like Bijan Robinson. Jesse Bates is a stud safety. They have pieces, but I don't think they're a piece away, and that includes Bill Belichick, from winning a Super Bowl. I think he would have went to Dallas. Yes, you have to work for Jerry Jones, which is a pain in the ass. But Bill Belichick has never been a guy that's that's wanted the spotlight, wanted the limelight, needed to have the full credit. He just does his job. He goes in there, does the work. He goes home. He does a a Zoom draft with his dog, and you get a couple laughs. And that's Bill Belichick. But this instance is just weird. To me. Why Jerry retaining a coach? You're 81 years old. You're 81 years old. You're still the GM. You have a good team. Some view Bill Belichick as the best head coach of all time. Why wouldn't you try to hire him? He's available for the first time in 25 years. You hire Jimmy, you hire Parcells. You know what this tells me? That he doesn't want to hire Belichick because he's worried about Bill getting the credit for him winning a Super Bowl. It is that pathetic. 
that you're not going to hire somebody out of fear, even though you will get the ring. You will get a ring too, but the credit might go to Bill Belichick more than it would go to Jerry Jones, and I don't think he can handle it. So you stick with Mike McCarthy. You can tell everybody, he's won a Super Bowl. He did a long time ago with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. And yes, nobody likes Aaron Rodgers right now, but he's still one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Donald Driver was on that team, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings. John Kuhn, they had a pretty pretty damn good team. Not to mention, if Bill Belichick goes to another team in the NFC, it's another team you have to compete with. What are the Eagles going to do? Are they keeping Nick Sirianni? We haven't heard definitively yet. We heard today from Tomlin. He's coaching next year. Open to an extension. They're going to bring in quarterback competition for Kenny Pickett. They're making moves. They're going to hire a new offensive coordinator outside the organization. We know what the plan is for the Steelers. They have been very upfront. For the leaders in that room, for Micah, for Dak, they didn't blame Mike McCarthy, which they shouldn't have. The players stunk. But it was also on coaching because they had no plan. Offense, defense, they were not ready to play until the first half was over. And the Dallas Cowboys are going to be a good team again next year. Dak's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I love Jake Ferguson, the tight end. C.D. Lamb's as good as it gets. They'll win their division again in all likelihood. They'll go into the playoffs. They'll have the same expectations that they did this year, and they'll shit all over themselves because that's what the Cowboys do. And you might say, Mike McCarthy, he's consistent. You know what he's going to be? Yeah. He's consistent enough to get you to the playoffs and then fail when you need him to succeed. And I'm not okay with that. If I'm a team every year and I preach, I tell everybody, we're trying to win a Super Bowl every year, which is never true, but that's what you tell your fans because fans are gullible. How can you tell them that and expect them to believe it when Mike McCarthy's your head coach? He's not the go-to guy. He's just, he's a coach, okay? But you know what he is. You know what he's bringing to the table. He's extremely limited. He's not the answer. Period. There are so many interesting candidates available. And there are firings every year, yes, but there won't be as many openings next year as there is this year because there's just not that much turnover. So at 82 next year, Jerry Jones, who are you picking as your next head coach? Are you going to re-sign Mike McCarthy as a lame duck head coach? You're going to give him an extension when he goes 13 and 4 instead of 12 and 5, and you keep him and you keep pushing this along? I just don't understand it personally. You're trying to win. You're trying to get to that Super Bowl, which you have not won since 1995. And you're running it back with the same guy that hasn't gotten you anywhere. It's one thing to run it back with a team that won something. The Raptors kept their core together way too long, but at least you could say they won a championship in 2019. The Warriors might have stayed together a little bit too long seeing what's happened to them this season. 
They won four damn championships together. This Cowboys group, same coaching staff, same players. They've won jack shit. Running it back when it doesn't work. How does that make sense? That's like blockbuster Blackberry saying we're going to keep the same business plan. We're not going to involve. We're not going to evolve. We're not going to do anything. Yeah, that's why they're out of business. Because they didn't change. They didn't evolve. We're just going to keep doing the same damn thing and hope that it something changes. Jerry's been doing that since 1995. Because the curse of the Cowboys when they fired Jimmy Johnson and they brought in Barry Switzer. And Barry Switzer won a Super Bowl with Jimmy's team. And then the team got old. Barry Switzer was fired two years later. And they've been an afterthought since when it comes to winning. They're in the zeitgeist. They're talked about as much as any team in professional sports. More than the Maple Leafs. More than Man United. More than the New York Yankees. But they win nothing. They have a brand. They have a helmet that people know. They have the star. It's not worth much when you don't win. Cowboys are doing what the Cowboys do. Sticking to the plan, sticking to the script. I shouldn't be surprised, but this is a mistake. And I don't think they, they're not a threatening team. They'll be a playoff team next year. But nobody, unless there's drastic changes via players this offseason, which I don't see happening, I would not expect this team to to do anything more than they did this year. Maybe win one playoff game. But then getting to a Super Bowl, forget that. The Cowboys fans know it. They'll get their hopes up. But in the back of their mind, they know what they are. The Eagles, again, like I said, they have not made up their mind yet. They're still kind of indecision there. The Steelers, Tomlin spoke to the media today. He's sticking around in Pittsburgh, which is the correct decision, obviously. He's got one year left on his deal. So he could be a lame duck going in. But there's... Guys, Raheem Morris is interviewing in a few different places in the next couple of days. Ben Johnson's interviewing with two teams tomorrow prior to the playoff game on Sunday. So, still a lot to be decided on the coaching front. Still a lot of interviews. And I just see this from Mike McCarthy. This is funny. On returning to the Cowboys, buy into us. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'm buying into that. I'm not buying nothing. I'm not buying that stock. That's just, it's the wrong decision. It's the weak decision. It's, It's the easy one. But sometimes the easy decision is not the best one. 2024, 2025, how will it be any different for the Dallas Cowboys? Probably won't be. We'll wait and see. Talk to you next year. But unlike the Dallas Cowboys, we have playoff games this weekend. 
They start Saturday, 5.30 p.m. The Houston Texans, who stomp the Browns, head up to Baltimore to play another AFC North team. C.J. Stroud was phenomenal. Defense, two pick sixes. Nico Collins, rising star. It's an interesting game because Ravens are the heavy favorite. Ravens are at home. But again, Lamar Jackson has not played in nearly three weeks. He sat out the last week of the season. They had the bye week last week, and now he's playing on Saturday. So nearly three weeks since he's played an NFL game. That concerns me a little bit. Marlon Humphrey, one of the Baltimore's top corners, will not be playing on Sunday. Mark Andrews, however, one of the best tight ends in football, is available. It's unclear if he's going to play yet. Isaiah Likely and his his replacement has been phenomenal. But getting Mark Andrews back would say Flowers and Nelson Aguilar and OBJ and Rashad Bateman. This offense is humming. They can make things happen. They're dangerous. Baltimore is a nine and a half point home favorite. No Noah Brown for the Texans. He had back surgery. He's out for the season, obviously. This game scares me a little bit. Because I don't know if one of the number one seeds are going to lose this weekend, but one of the underdogs is going to cover. I'm almost certain of that. And while I think Houston has their flaws, and they're a young team, and D'Amico Ryans is a is a young team. D'Amico Ryans, rookie head coach. They 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 just believe in themselves, I believe. And yes, they're going from a dome to playing outside, and you have to deal with Mike McDonald's defense, which has the best simulated pressures in the entire NFL, just finding ways to get defensive linemen to the quarterback. He should be teaching the Eagles something about this. And Baltimore's been dominant the whole year. Lamar Jackson's the MVP. But this is kind of an important, this is a very important game for, for Lamar. He hasn't been a great playoff quarterback either. He hasn't gotten to an AFC championship game in his career. He's looking to do that for the first time. Cement his legacy as, you know, one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. Already one of the most talented, but can he win the big games? Can he get to a Super Bowl, get that prize? Could he get a Super Bowl before Josh Allen, before Joe Burrow? Get on that same mantle with Patrick Mahomes. Baltimore's the better team. I do think they had the better quarterback slightly, but C.J. Stroud is a stud. That Baltimore pass rush is going to be great in this game. They're going to get to C.J. Stroud, even though the offensive line for Houston is decent. When you can get, when you're in a playoff game, you can get nine and a half points. I like taking the points, even as a road team. I expect Baltimore's number one seed to go in there and win. 
because they're the number one seed and they're better. But I expect Houston to keep to make it a game for C.J. Stroud to make some big throws. And for Houston to cover the nine and a half points in Baltimore this coming weekend. So I like, I like Baltimore to win the game. I like Houston to keep it close. Houston, plus nine and a half. Second Saturday game, the Green Bay Packers, the seventh seed, head to play San Francisco, the one seed. San Francisco, same position as Baltimore. They rested their guys by week, and now they're playing. Green Bay is coming off that emotional, huge victory over the Cowboys. Jordan Love's first playoff game. Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan have been linked. They coach together. Two great offensive minds, two good head coaches, but two young, good head coaches that have not won a Super Bowl yet. Shanahan's been to a Super Bowl, but Matt LaFleur is not. Christian McCaffrey is going to play. Trent Williams is going to be active. Nick Bosa, Chase Young, George Kittle, everybody's going to be available for San Francisco. Jerry Alexander's banged up for Green Bay, but it sounds like the corner's going to play. So everybody should be available. Green Bay is still a scary team in this game because there's going to be no elements, even though they're used to it. They're playing in San Francisco, nice weather. But San Francisco, they dominated home. They dominated the Cowboys at home this year. They beat the Cowboys in a home playoff game last year in the divisional round, coming off a bye. They know how to do this. I do think that Jordan Love's a better quarterback than Brock Purdy. And that gives me hope for Green Bay. If I'm a Green Bay fan, I'm going into this game saying, you know what, we got a puncher's chance because we have the better quarterback. But every other skill position player is better on San Francisco than they are on Green Bay. I like the pass rushers on San Francisco more than like Green Bay. If I'm Jordan Love in the offense, I'm throwing a deep ball early. I'm trying to catch San Francisco. I want to see what I can create. Get the ball to Jaden Reed. Get the ball to Romeo Dubs or even to Christian Watson, who did not get a deep attempt last week. He only had one catch for nine yards. San Francisco's going to win because I just think they're too talented. They're primed. They're ready. They want this. I also think they're kind of looking ahead saying, this might be our toughest opponent of the NFC teams left. I don't disagree with them. Green Bay would scare me. And that's why, again, I'm taking the nine and a half and I'm taking Green Bay. Two close games. We didn't get a whole lot of close games last weekend. I think we're going to get more this weekend. Green Bay's been playing. Green Bay's been playing playoff football since early December. San Francisco's been cruising a bit. I think they'll have a slow start. Jordan Love will keep them in there. They'll run the ball with Aaron Jones. San Francisco advances to the NFC Championship game for the fourth year in a row. But Green Bay puts up a good fight. 
and they cover the nine and a half points. So I have both road dogs covering the spread this coming weekend. That brings us to Tampa Bay at the Lions. Tampa Bay had their moment. They played the Sad Sack Eagles. They dominated them. Baker Mayfield had a great game. He now has more playoff wins than Dak Prescott in his career. Fun stat. But I look at the team and I say, Mike Evans is great. Chris Godwin, very good receiver. He loves throwing the ball to the tight end, Kate Otten. I wish he'd do that less because Kate Otten can't catch. Rasheed White's a solid running back. They have a veteran-laden defense. Levante David, Super Bowl champion. Shaq Barrett, Super Bowl champion. Vita Vea, Super Bowl champion. So they have some veterans on this roster. But there's a belief in the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff played phenomenal last week. Amra St. Brown, my guy Sam Laporta, Jamison Williams, who's still not being used enough, Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, the one-two punch at running back and maybe the best offensive line in football. Not to mention a physical defense that injured three players on the Rams last week. They are trying to kill you on the field, and they'll do whatever they physically have to to win the game. It's going to be loud in Detroit. Great atmosphere. I just think Dan Campbell and that group are so fired up. They believe in themselves. They know that they can do it. They know if they win this game, they might potentially get home field. If Green Bay can win, they'd have home field in the NFC Championship game in Detroit. Eminem was on the sidelines last weekend. Tampa's a great story. Baker Mayfield's going to be paid some money in the offseason because he played fantastic. He did something nobody thought he would, and that's win a division title and prove that he's he had better numbers this year than Tom Brady did last year with the same Buccaneers team. That's a fact, by the way. 25 touchdowns, 10 picks. So he had 28 touchdowns. Brady only had 25. Three more touchdown passes than Tom Brady. But Detroit's better. I think they're they're farther along in this. They're they have good coaching. They have that belief. They're physical, and they want it. Detroit's a six and a half point favorite. I think Detroit wins by more than six. I could see them winning this game by two touchdowns. I just think they're levels above the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay had their victory. They defeated the Eagles. They defeated last year's NFC representative in the Super Bowl. But the Lions are just better than them this year. The Lions have the best matchup of the weekend. I of all these teams remaining, I would Tampa Bay be number one on my list of teams I could play if I had the opportunity. Detroit gets that game. Detroit's gonna go beat them. Detroit's gonna go to their first NFC championship game since 1991, and they're going to do it by winning by more than six and a half points. Final divisional game. Third time these two quarterbacks are going to meet in the playoffs. 
Kansas City, Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes, 2-0 in the matchups. This will be the first time the playoff game is played in Orchard Park, New York. Buffalo has momentum. They played really good football down the stretch. They have a new identity with offensive coordinator Joe Brady. And they believe they can win. Patrick Mahomes played 17 playoff games. Zero of them have been played on the road other than Super Bowls, which are on neutral sites. You had to go into Buffalo, which just had two of the most brutal storms in recent memory, and play a game. But Kansas City was freezing, so it won't be a huge deal to to Kansas City. Andy Reid versus Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott used to be on Andy Reid's staffs. They meet once again. I look at the tight end matchup. I think that's one of the biggest matchups in this game. What Buffalo's been doing, getting advantages with Dalton Kincaid and with Dawson Knox, has completely changed their season, in my opinion, alongside giving James Cook more touches every game. Josh Allen is not to be Superman. He's still one of the best players in football, but he doesn't have the cape week in, week out, and he can just be a quarterback. This game is fascinating because they play this year. They play every year. And Buffalo usually wins in the regular season, and Kansas City usually wins in the playoffs. This Kansas City roster all year has been disappointing. Drops, interceptions, inconsistent defense. Embarrassing losses to teams like Vegas with Aiden O'Connell. Losing to Buffalo. Losing to the Eagles. Just stupid mistake after stupid mistake. A team that has more eyes on them because of Taylor Swift more than anything they've done on the field. They weren't impressive against their win against the Dolphins. They were winning that game before kickoff. Mike McDaniel was frozen. He could have called any play. It wasn't going to work. That team was completely shell-shocked going into Kansas City, Missouri. And yet, I'm looking at this game, and Buffalo is the two-and-a-half-point favorite. Which really tells you that the books don't trust the Bills, even though they've been favoring the Bills all year. Normally, you get three points for being home at the very least if it's a close game. They're not even giving them three points. Kansas City's been the owner of the AFC for a long time. Josh Allen is looking to take it. Take the mantle and run with it. I believe Buffalo's the better team, top to bottom. I think Kansas City is a slightly better defense in large part because the Buffalo Bills have been missing a lot of players on their defense for most of the season. But they're not coming back for this weekend's game. Rasheed Rice has been a godsend. I think Travis Kelsey doesn't have a whole lot left in the tank, but I think he has enough to be effective. I think we see another high-scoring game. The quarterback who turns the ball over the least could very well win it. I like the linebackers for Kansas City. I think they can cover Knox. They can cover Kincaid, make it a tougher day than the Steelers did last weekend. I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. 
I'm picking the Chiefs plus two and a half, and I'm actually picking the Chiefs to win the game. And it's crazy because they give me no reason to, and neither do the Bills. The Bills are trying to prove something, trying to get to the first AFC championship game in the Josh Allen era. All kinds of success, yes. But limited limited success because you've never gotten to an AFC championship game. They have the opportunity to do it this coming weekend at home, and I don't think they're going to. This is a fourth quarter game. It's another game we remember. It's in prime time. Two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But I have Kansas City winning it. And I have Kansas City covering the two and a half points. So as a recap, Houston versus Baltimore. Baltimore wins the game. But Houston covers the nine and a half. Green Bay at San Francisco. San Francisco wins the game, but Green Bay covers the 9.5. Tampa Bay at Detroit. Detroit wins, and they win by more than 6.5 points at home. Kansas City at Buffalo. Kansas City claws out an instant classic against the Bills, and it's more just defeatedness for the Buffalo Bills and that city who just can't have nice things, unfortunately. They're good, but they're never great. Unless they win this weekend, then I think they very well could beat Baltimore. Who knows? To Sunday, can't wait. Should be fun. We also got all kinds of rumors about head coaches, so that's swirling around at the same time. The NFL is king. They create better content than anybody on planet Earth. NHL news, just right here, right now. Minnesota Wild Captain Jared Spurgeon have season-ending hip and back surgery. Both brutal injuries. Spurgeon's an important defenseman. But he's 35 years old. Only played 16 games this season. He's got three years left after this year on his deal. He makes $7.575 million a year, so they have that room to play with. But I don't think the Minnesota Wild are going to be a playoff team. The Minnesota Wild have been really inconsistent all year. A disappointing team, to say the least. They've already fired their head coach. I believe they're in Tampa Bay. They're in Tampa Bay tonight. But as we chat here, the Minnesota Wild are, let's see, seven points out of a playoff spot. They're going to be a seller. They're two games under 500. I look at that team and go, Marc-Andre Fleury could be available if he wants to be traded. If it's going to be his last year and he wants to go on a team that's going to be a playoff team, I think they should look into trading him. He'd have to waive his no-movement clause, but I don't see why he wouldn't if he wants to leave. Other than 
Marc-Andre Fleury. I think there'd be some interest for some guys. You know, Marco Ross, he's a young player. I wouldn't part with him yet. No way in hell I'm trading Brock Faber. The kid's a stud. But Marcus Foligno, Patrick Maroon, do teams going for cups have interest? Jacob Middleton, Brodeen, good player. I do think they have guys that teams to look at, at acquiring. Not a whole lot because the roster isn't that great, quite frankly. You're not moving Kaprizov. I'm not sure you're moving Zuccarello, even though he's at the you know latter stages of his career. He's still playing really good hockey. 32 points in 34 games. And he's 36. But he's still producing at 36. And if they want to have a quick turnaround, a quicker rebuild, if you will, then you don't move off a player like Zuccarello because he has such great chemistry with Kaprizov. They love playing with one another. And I don't think you want to piss off one of the best players on your team. Jared Spurgeon, good defenseman, good leader on that team, done for the season with hip and back injuries, needs surgery. And it sounds like he's going to get the surgery, uh, be ready for the start of next season. So Jared Spurgeon, done until next year. The Minnesota Wild are really done as well. They are officially a seller, if you ask me. A team who won't be selling, the Florida Panthers, they lost last night against Detroit in overtime. But Sam Reinhardt scored in his eighth straight game, which is a new Florida Panther record. He's up to 33 goals on the season, one back of league-leading Austin Matthews. He scored goals power play, 5 and and shorthanded this season, which is impressive. And... He's a pending unrestricted free agent. Very good. Again, plays in all facets of the game. He's going to make some money. With Florida paying Kachuk, Montour, Ekblad, Bobrovsky, $10.5 million. I'm not sure they can afford to keep you know Sam Reinhardt. And you're not going to... They're not trading with the deadline because they want to try to win. They could think they can get back to the Stanley Cup in the Eastern Conference. But I'm just looking at him going, whew. If he wants to stay in Florida, he'll make under $10 bucks because that's what they've set when it comes to the, the, the tax structure and the way it works. He won't be making more than Matthew Kachuk. If he leaves, he will be in the realm of 10 to $11 million. Because that's the going rate when you're outside of that market. When you're outside of those tax cities, that's what you ask for. Point blank. And it's, it's frustrating. It's get it, but everybody has their advantages. Florida's not a big hockey market. You might not want to live in Florida, so that could be a detriment. Toronto, Montreal, New York, okay, it's a hockey market. People love their sports. A lot of people there. But I'm watching him. He's one of the best players in the league this year. 
all over the ice, doing it all, scoring every night, breaking a record held by Pavel Bure, for Christ's sake. I mean, only one goal back of Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is on a credible tear. So Sam Reinhardt. Sam Reinhardt's got five more goals than Nikita Kucherov. So to me, it's just something I want to point out. It's just how good Sam Reinhardt's been. All season long, he's been consistent. He's going to go to the All-Star game in Toronto. That means anything. It doesn't to me, but he's going to go. So get more notoriety, people going, holy shit, Sam Reinhardt's second in the league in goal scoring. He's probably not on most people's fantasy teams. But he's been that good. He's got 56 points in 44 games. Plus 14 for the old heads. Florida's lost a couple in a row in overtime, but they're getting points. They got Minnesota on a back-to-back tomorrow night. Tonight, National Hockey League got some interesting matchups. Colorado in Boston. Georgiev back between the pikes for the Avalanche. To me, you got two of the best teams in the league. You have two of the best players in the league. McKinnon who's tied for the league lead in scoring with Kucherov with 72 points, and David Pasternak, who's third with 61. Pasternak, who I think has been so important to the Bruins this year. His goal scoring might not be where it was last year, but he's been as important. 35 assists. He's only had 26 goals, but the team's winning. Their first place again. He's logging big minutes. He's doing more and more. He's physical. I, he's one of the best players in the league. He's a great passer. He does everything you'd want to win. But you have Colorado in Boston. Boston's been playing well. Colorado's been playing well. Mika Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon. Kudos to Jonathan Druax. He's starting to play really well as well. Finding he's fast, he's using his legs again, getting into high-quality scoring areas. Playing with Nathan McKinnon doesn't hurt. But you also have to, to deliver on the opportunities that you're given, and he has. I've been hard on him because I don't think he's been worth a fuck. I think he's been a pain in the ass. I think he was a pain in the ass in Tampa. I think he was a pain in the ass in Montreal. But thus far in Colorado, he's starting, he's starting to become a better and better player. More relied upon. Bigger moments stepping up. So credit to him for seizing the opportunity before it was too late in the NHL. Colorado in Boston tonight, that should be fun. You also have Dallas playing Philadelphia. Philadelphia's won four in a row. They don't go away. They're like a cockroach. They won't die. I don't get it. They play hard. Goaltending's been okay. But somehow, at this point of the season, they are second in the Metropolitan Division. They have three more points than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Four more points, pardon me. They have three more wins than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Same amount of wins as the Carolina Hurricanes. More wins in Tampa Bay than Pittsburgh. It's quite staggering what they've done so far this year. 
And just night in, night out, they get somebody new to step up and produce, seemingly. Owen Tippett's got 16 goals. Joel Farabee has 15 goals. Ryan Paling has had his games. Cam Atkinson has nights where he plays well. The bottom of the lineup competes as hard as any team in the NHL. But Dallas-Philly should be fun. Two teams that are battling for position. Dallas, third spot in the central behind Colorado and Winnipeg, who have both been fantastic. Dallas missed Ottinger for an extended period of time, but they're fine. They're in a good spot. They're playing good hockey. That game's intriguing to me. Cracking in the Oilers. Oilers trying to keep their winning streak alive. Push it to 12. Kraken just lost. They were out east for a while. They lost in Pittsburgh, so they're trying to get back on the winning ways. So that's an intriguing game. Toronto and Florida. Toronto and Florida tonight. Martin Jones between the pipes. For Toronto, it's just about playing consistent hockey for three periods. Playing good hockey. Being involved in the game. Not falling asleep. You know, Calgary's a lesser team than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sounds like Jacob Markstrom is not. It's Dan Vladar. So you get a backup goaltender. This should be absolutely a two-point game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. No doubt about it. Anything but a disappointment, quite frankly. I talked about them yesterday. Prove me wrong, start tonight. Calgary's not a great team. They've won a few games in a row, but they're they're just in the middle of things. They're middling around. Cadre's been good as of late, watching Calgary a bit. They're playing good hockey. He's playing good hockey for them. Huberto's been better in 2024. But top to bottom, Toronto's the better team. Backup goaltender for Calgary. Says, okay, Markstrom's not going to stand on his head in all likelihood. Play better defensively. We'll see what happens. But another all-Canadian matchup. And then Toronto in Vancouver on Saturday in Seattle Sunday night. Still have a ways to go on this road trip. And important games to get points, to play good hockey. I don't think there's any pressure on Sheldon Keefe right now. That may be a narrative that do you want to switch up the coach? Wouldn't be a bad time. You have the all-star game coming up after this weekend. They only have two games until the all-star break, which is a home and home with the Winnipeg Jets. But if they lose tonight and they lose to Vancouver, and then somehow lose on the back-to-back to Seattle. Because Samsonov's crap. I wouldn't rule anything out. Because this team's about winning this year. And that Yes, they extended Sheldon Keefe in the offseason, but this team has all kinds of money, and money doesn't really matter to Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. You have a bad weekend. Let's say you could go hire Craig Berube on Monday. Would you do it? Craig Berube was hired midseason. The St. Louis Blues went on to win the Stanley Cup. It doesn't have to make – there's a narrative. 
It happened for Brubay and St. Louis. Maybe he could turn around this team in Toronto. I don't think he will. Because <coughs> you can't, you know, make a leopard change his spots. But he could do it. Craig Ruby's available. He'll be a head coach after this season. I wholeheartedly believe that. There's strong rumors that the Ottawa Senators are going to hire him. Swoop in. Don't let your opponents get a better coach. If I'm Barube, I'd rather coach Toronto than go coach Ottawa. My God. The Senators are abysmal. The Senators are pathetic. They are going to be a seller of epic proportions. They have Corpusallo for another four years after this one to $5 million. He can't make a save. Jacob Chikrin, who they work forever to get a trade with, he might be gone after a season. They're going to ask Vladimir Tarasenko to wave his no move. No shit. Why'd you give him a no move? Stupid. Giving a fringe player a, a no move clause. I'll tell you, you think you could hire some idiot G GMs? I'll tell you, you could hire me, I'd never give one out. I don't care if it's a superstar, you're not getting one. Back of the line. Because if I want to move you, you're fucking leaving. Because I don't want you here. I don't want you to get in the building. I'm taking your pass. I'm taking your parking pass. I'm taking every bit of shrill or sh anything you can do to get in this building. You're not getting in. But no, let's give Vladimir Tarasenko, who's been had shoulder surgery the last three years, a no move to make our life harder. So we have to trade him where he wants to go. Give me a break. Ottawa Senators. Joke. Make me look stupid because I thought they'd make the playoffs for the first time in forever. Nope. Lottery team. Again. Looking for answers. But they got a new GM, but they're going to hire a head coach. Who the hell is it going to be? Who's going to want the job? God. Coyotes in Vancouver tonight. Rangers Golden Knights. Fun matchup. Two teams that have kind of hit the ditch a little bit. They were great to start the season and have faded. New York's been better at staying a little bit more consistent than Vegas. Vegas has had a tough go when it just comes to injuries, players being available. No Jack Eichel for Vegas for a period of time. Panarin's been very good for the Rangers. But Shesterkin, who's he's been okay. I don't think he's been great this year. Well, he's got a 906 save percentage. That's just okay. 280 goals against. Logan Thompson has better numbers than Shesterkin this season. Not much better, but better. Both goalies do not have a shutout, but you have Jack Eichel and Shea Theodore both out of the lineup tonight for the Vegas Golden Knights, and that, that hurts, ladies and gents. Well, we'll talk again Monday, but this weekend, NHL, like I said, you got Hockey Day in Canada on Saturday, Winnipeg and Ottawa, Montreal, Boston, Toronto and Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary to close up the day, the Battle of Alberta, Pittsburgh and Vegas, Rangers in Los Angeles, Only a week and a half until the NHL All-Star Game in Toronto, and I can't wait for that event, I'll tell you. I'm looking forward to it. I'm beyond stoked. I can't wait to cover it, and 
really dive into the matchups and the speed skating and any other event they plan on on doing. I'm going to be – I just can't wait to talk about it with you all. If you haven't figured it out, I'm uh, being sarcastic. I hate the event more than anything. It's stupid personified, but, you know, some people like it, I guess. News from Adam Schefter, Panthers completed a virtual head coaching interview today with Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. Tell you, that performance last week against the Browns surely did not hurt his chances, helped his stock. He's been getting interviews all week. Callahan, the offensive uh, quarterback's coach for the Browns, have been getting a lot of interviews as well. So... Bobby Slowick talking to the Panthers. I know they really want Ben Johnson. We'll see if that happens because he's wanted around the league. But some of these, I think, will be locked up next week. It was reported today Belichick could be done as soon as this weekend with the Falcons to become the new head coach by the end of the weekend. So we'll monitor it all. We'll talk about it on Monday. But Bobby Slowick talking with the Carolina Panthers. They searched for the third head coach in three seasons. That wouldn't make me want to take the job. Unless I'm getting a four to five year deal and I'm going to get paid if I get fired, then I'll take the job. Let's move to the UFC. UFC 297 this weekend, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. First event in Toronto since 2019, so pre-Fauci virus. This is going to be an interesting weekend. Sean Strickland, one of the most interesting, the most talked about, controversial figures in UFC history, is in Canada. He's making fun of Canadian reporters, saying they voted for Trudeau, which I'm all... Preach, Sean. But he's colorful. He's interesting. Beat Israel Adesanya back in back in September to win the belt. Now he faces Drikus Duplessis, undefeated UFC fighter from South Africa. Drikus has beaten the likes of Derek Brunson. Beat finished Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker, a former champion, at 185 pounds. Drickus punches hard. He's got a unique style. He likes to come forward. So does Sean. Sean does the fishy, the Philly special kind of style. Blocking punches with his shoulder. They're both creative. They're both good fighters. But they got. Drick has made comments about Sean's dad abusing him when he was young, which did happen. So they don't like one another. They have this bitter bitterness towards one another. They want to beat the hell out of one another. A fan at the press conference about 10 minutes ago rushed the stage trying to get to Sean Strickland. So he's creating waves. He's controversial. Democrats love him. Sorry, Democrats hate him. Republicans love him. 
When it comes to this fight, Sean's the slight favorite, which honestly surprises me. Because Sean had never got any real respect going into that Izzy fight. He was never given a chance to win that one. He was on a, a losing streak prior to last year. He goes 3-0 in fights in 2023. And he ends up leaving the year as the champion. Sean's really good. He spars all the time, which keeps him fresh, keeps him ready for these fights. But Drickus is good. And Drickus has been ready for He's been waiting for this, wanting to fight Israel. But then getting Robert Whitaker in a fight that probably the UFC shouldn't have booked, but he beat him. Then he couldn't have fought Izzy in September because he had a broken foot. He recovers from that, and he's ready to fight here. It's going to be a fun fight. Personal. Means a lot to both guys. But I believe Drickus is going to become the new middleweight champion of the world. I just think he's too big. He's too strong. He's going to land one of these big punches on Sean. He might even knock him out. I love myself from Sean Strickland. I do. Because I just think he speaks his mind. And I don't agree with everything he says. He's very much out there. But. There's stuff he says that I do agree with. And he makes a point. He calls out the weak left. But Duplessis. From South Africa. I think becomes the middleweight champion of the world. Beating Sean Strickland. And starting his own title ring. Where he will have fun matchups. With guys like Hamzat Chemaev or Adesanya, they want to do that fight. There's options for him. But I got Drickus winning the belt on Saturday night. You can get Drickus at plus 108 as the slight underdog. Coming event, you have Raquel Pennington against Myra Bueno Silva for the vacant Bantamweight title. Amanda Nunez was the queen of this division, but she retired back in June, and you're waiting for a new champion. Raquel Pennington's fought for the belt before, but she lost to Amanda Nunez. She's a different fighter now. She's a lot better than she used to be in all facets. Moena Brena Silva went on Dana White Contender Series. She got a submission victory, and she's been surging ever since. Three fights, three wins in a row. All via submission. If you let her get to the ground, she is going to finish you. She submitted Holly Holm early in the second round in her last fight, defeating a former champion. She's dangerous. She can do just about anything on her feet. She's a decent striker. I expect another competitive fight. I think this fight will be better than people expect. Because you look at it and go, it's a female fight. It's a division that doesn't have a whole lot of contenders. No more Amanda Nunez. Who cares? I care. I think both these women are really skilled. I think both these women can put on a good show. It doesn't get a whole lot of public. It doesn't mean it's going to be a bad fight. Because <coughs> oftentimes the USC events, USC fights, they get the least amount of publicity Pump out the best results. 
The winner of this fight is going to fight Juliana Pena later on this year, which will be fine because Juliana's a big voice. She's got opinions, and she beat Amanda Nunez back in the day, so she's got a right to feel like she deserves the shot at this title, but she's injured right now. So you've already set up that matchup, whoever wins this fight. I think Mara Brena Silva is going to win the title. I think she'll win via submission and continue her run because she is a dangerous woman inside the octagon. And she'll start a title run. You can get her at minus 184. Third fight on the card. Neil Magny against Mike Malott. Mike Malott is the best Canadian fighter in the UFC right now. This is his first ranked opponent. Neil Magny is really the gatekeeper of the 170-pound division. He's fought every contender. He fought Ian Machado Gary back in August, got the hell beat out of him. Fought, you know, Bilal Muhammad. He's fought the guys that you, you know, break through. He's fought, he fought Leon Edwards. So he's the gatekeeper. Mike Malott's a very talented guy. Hasn't lost since joining the UFC. Won back in June in Vancouver via submission in the second round. He's got good striking, good jujitsu. Can pull you, get you into a guillotine choke, and you are done. Neil Magny can be a tricky opponent because he does have long legs and he can kick you and make it tough. But I think Mike Malott's the best chance Canada has to get another champion someday. George St. Pierre. To me, is the greatest UFC fighter of all time. He never got caught for steroids. He's never cheated. He's just been a constant professional and just an overall great ambassador and awesome fighter for a long time. And he's beaten the best of the best. I don't know if Mike Malott's ever become a champion because he's in the welterweight division with some killers. But I do think he's going to be ranked after this weekend. I do think he's going to beat Neil Magny. I do think he's going to finish... Neil Magny. Mike Malott's a massive favorite at minus 340. I think it's for good reason. I take Mike Malott via finish to win this weekend. He's good. And a, a great Canadian fighter. Fourth on the card, Chris Curtis, who's the training partner of one Sean Strickland, will take on the power bar, Mark andre Barrio of Canada. A lot of Canadians on this card. Chris Curtis is another kind of gatekeeper, but 185 pounds. He's had a tough go of late. Lost the fight that he thought he won to, to Calvin Gaslam. He then was fighting uh, uh, Imovov, and he got an eye poke, and they had to stop the fight. So... He's trying to get back in the win column, trying to get some consistency for his career. Barrios won two fights in a row. He beat Eric Anders back in June. Re-signed with the UFC. He's an underdog in this fight, which surprises me a little bit. <coughs> Both guys are good strikers. Chris Curtis is very good at defending. Barrio likes to move forward, put the pressure on his opponents, step in, make you earn it, get in the pocket, but avoid damage at all costs. 
The power bar is the slight underdog. Again, plus 146. I think Canada is going to go two for two on the main card. I like Marc-Andre Badio to win, to beat Chris Curtis. Again, join the rankings of the middleweight division. We'll have two ranked Canadian fighters by the end of Saturday night. Big opportunity for Marc-Andre. I think he prevails and he defeats Chris Curtis. The match to, to open the pay-per-view is my second favorite fight on the card. I think it's a fantastic fight. Featherweight matchup between Arnold Allen and Mavsar Ivalov. Ivalov's a Russian who's undefeated. He's very good. So far, he's had a hell of a UFC career. However, he nearly lost to Diego Lopez, but Diego Lopez, we've learned, is a stud. But Ivalov's a guy that kind of nobody wants to fight. He's 17 0. Arnold Allen is 19 2 in his professional career, and one of those losses was to Max Blessed Holloway, who's an all time great. But Arnold only fought once last year. In 2022, he beats Calvin Cater, knocks out Dan Hooker, beats Sadiq Youssef in 2021. Nick Lentz, since joining the UFC, he's been running through opponents. Other than the Max Holloway loss, he hasn't lost in over a decade. They're both 29 years old. They both have really interesting skill sets. And Ivalov's the slight favorite. Arnold Allen was on a roll. And this fight will mean, a, whoever wins this fight's a big deal to me. They'll be in a position to look up and go, how many people should be above me when it comes to a title shot? Max Holloway's moved to 155. He's gone. We don't have to worry about him. You can look and go, well, Yair Rodriguez already fought for the belt. He lost. So did Brian Ortega. Ilya Tapura is fighting for the belt next month. Calvin Cater, forget about it. Josh Emmett's sixth. If Arnold Allen wins this fight, he could be fighting for the belt if, Vol if Volkanovski retains on February 17th. If... Taporia wins, there very well could be a rematch. And then you kind of have to wait, sit back, and wait your turn a little bit. But Ivalov wins, he'll be inside the top five. Undefeated, a scary opponent for anybody. And Volkanovski, if he is the champion, would have beaten any, everybody else above him at least once. So you look at him and go, you're next up for the title. Unless they want to give it to Aljamain Sterling if he wins in a couple weeks. But that's the stakes here. You very well could be the number one contender for the featherweight title with the win, depending on what happens next month in Anaheim, California at UFC 298. Two incredibly skilled guys. Two guys that like punching but are not afraid to go to the ground if it has to. I mean, Arnold knocked out Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker's a tough son of a bitch, and he knocked him out early in that fight. 
Ivalov's never lost. I think he's going to lose on Saturday. Arnold Allen's been training. He was born originally in Montreal. He lives in the UK. He has Canadian roots. I like Arnold Allen to win the fight on Saturday. I'm not going to say he's going to finish Ivalov, but I think he hands him his first loss, the biggest one of his career, gets back on track and could be the next number one contender for the featherweight title if everything goes right. The rest of the card, Brad Katona, two-time winner of the Ultimate Fighter, won the Ultimate Fighter back in August. First fight since rejoining, he gets Garrett Arnfield. This is a fun matchup at Bantamweight. Arnfield had a big victory his last time out, got a finish, which kind of rejuvenated his career. Him and Katona are both in kind of interesting spots <coughs> where Katona's only got two losses. In his whole career, but they're you know they're to for future champions. But Arnfield his last time out got a, a KO in the first round against Tiyashimi Kazama. Bragatona is likely not going to finish anybody, but he's such a technical fighter. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to get to get points to avoid damage to stay in it. Bragatona, I like him to win this fight. Charles Jourdain, another Canadian fighting Sean Woodson. Biggest step up for Charles because Sean's only lost once in his career. And he's an interesting style matchup. He is a sniper. He can knock you out if he catches your chin. But Charles is just, a, he's an interesting cat. He's got interesting quotes. He's got an interesting personality. He's coming off an impressive performance. Where he was fighting at the apex and nobody really saw it. He's only 28 and he's still got good prospects at featherweight. I think he's a good fighter. Myself, Charles is. Last year he defeated Ricardo Ramos via first round submission back in September. Won at UFC 288, defeated Cron Gracie via decision. 2022 he lost twice. I think he's a better fighter now. He's a smarter fighter now. He's making better decisions. Just turned 28, so he's a young fighter. Still a lot to grow here. Another Canadian's going to win. I got Charles Jourdain beating Sean Woodson. Yasmin Yazodavichis fighting Priscilla Cochevera. Jasmine lost a close one back in September at Noche UFC. She wanted to be on this card. She she got the fans to really support her to Cohen and make sure to tell Dana White and the, and the UFC brass to get her on this card. She is on this card, and she's a huge favorite going in. I think she gets the she's good. She could have won that fight against uh, Tracy Cortez easily. She just lost slightly with her striking. She's gonna bounce back with a victory. Julian Robertson, another Canadian. She's fighting Pollyanna Vienna this weekend. Last time Jillian was out, she was not good. Not good at all. Got dominated in that fight in Jacksonville. Pollyanna, again, she's been kind of an up-and-down fighter. She lost her last time out to Yasmin Lucindo via submission. 
She had a lot of fights canceled last year. She she wins one, loses one normally. <coughs> you can get her at plus 210 right now. I think she gets back in the win column on Saturday. She defeats Jillian Robertson, who's always a submission threat. But overall, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Canadians fighting on the card. And I think six of them are going to get victories on Saturday at UFC 297 in Toronto. I think it's going to be a fun event. It's not a loaded pay-per-view card, but it's very good to watch. You get a lot of Canadian talent. You could see what's available right now in Canada, rising stars, things of that nature. So I can't wait to see this on Saturday, UFC 297 in Toronto. It all goes down then. Golf is back. We haven't talked about this much, but it's back. I'm watching it. American Express going on right now in California. Zach Johnson went 10 under today. Leading the tournament, Riley Huey goes 9 under. Christian Bazudenhut, 9 under through 17. Alex Noren, 9 under through 17. Jander Shoffley went 8 under for the day. Patrick Cantley, 8 under. Siwoo Kim, 8 under. Justin Thomas, 7 under through 15. So he could very well improve his score by the end of the day. Sung JM, minus 6 through 8. Sam Burns on the comeback, minus 6 through 18. So guys just dominating the course. A couple of events in Hawaii. A couple of playoffs. Back in the California swing, you have the Farmers Insurance at Torrey Pines next weekend, which is one of my favorite tracks. Personally. Getting to February of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am the first weekend in February. And then Super Bowl weekend. You got the waste management in Scottsdale. And then you follow that with the Genesis the weekend after that. So that's a hell of a stretch these next couple weeks in golf. But Liv and the PGA still have not merged. So you're not going to get John Rahm and the PGA Tour. You're not getting everybody back yet. Sounds like some players still might be ready to defect. When I get news on that, I'll let you know. But... Really interesting things. But it's great to have golf back, especially night golf. Like I loved that last week and seeing that in seeing that in Hawaii. If you could get night golf all the time, play it in California, get some oh I love that stuff. How about last night the Australian Open? 4 a.m., Daniil Medvedev finishes a match, was down two sets to love, comes back, and wins. Stamina, the will to win on display, if you've ever seen it. With the victory, he will now play Felix Oje Aliasim in the third round. So you have that matchup. So Felix did win last night. 
he gets a very tired Medvedev, so there's as good a chance as, as any to beat him. You also had Alina Rabakin on the women's side. She lost in three sets, but she lost the final tiebreaker 22-20. to The longest tiebreaker in a, in a siding set in women's uh, Australian Open history. But she's the number three seed. She's bounced in the second round. You also had Jessica Bagula, the fifth seed, bounced in the second round. Daria Kazakina, who I thought would be in trouble last night, she loses to Sloane Stephens. So this side of the draw, completely wide open. Iga Schweintek won in three sets. She needed all of it. We have Victoria Azarenka survive. Jelena Ostapenko, they will meet in the third round. But this draw is wide open for like Alina Svetolina. Since coming back playing the majors, she's been going on deep runs. She has a good chance to do it again. So the women draw wide open tonight. You get Sabalenka playing Sorenko from the Ukraine. Coco Goff in action against Andrea Parks, a fellow American. Coco Goff has not lost a match so far in 2024. She won the only, only tournament she's been involved in, and she's lost something like two matches since, since after Wimbledon. She's been that dominant. For the men's side tonight, Medvedev, I said, survived. Hugo Hercos uh, won as well. Hugo Rune, eight-seeded Dane, out. Dimitrov wins in four sets. You get Sissy Poss in action tonight. Adrian Manorino, the veteran Frenchman against young Ben Shelton. Yannick Sinner, Heron Hatchinoff. And tomorrow morning, Novak Djokovic against Thomas Martin Echeverry on Rod Laver Arena. And Alex Dimonor, the surging Aussie against Kabali in Italian. And Sebastian Corda and Andre Rublev. On Margaret Court. And Court is kind of an American. People always think he's going to break through. He's going to have a great tournament. He's risen to 29th in the world. His best ranking yet that he's ever had. <coughs> so we'll see what he can do in the third round here. But the Australian Open has been interesting so far. A lot of upsets. Late mornings for a lot of these people. And as I said, you get... Uh, Felix against Medvedev tomorrow in the third round. Very tired Medvedev. You have Cameron Nori, the Brit, against Casper Rudd, a 19th against an 11th seed. Tommy Paul still in, involved here. Dimitrov, Carlos Alcaraz did lose a set last night, as we predicted here. Sasha Zverev won in five sets. He's playing Alex Mickelson, an unranked American, but a guy who's really played really good tennis and could very well give Zverev everything he can handle. So Australian Open has been delivering so far. If you're not watching it, start, because it's great tennis. And it's the third best major of the year. French is lost. Finally, the Raptors traded Pascal Siakam. He's now a member of the Indiana Pacers. The Raptors waited too long to break up their core. It's about a year and a half too long. 
OG's a Nick, Siakam's a Pacer, Fred Van Fleet's a Rocket. In this deal, I will say I think they did pretty well. You get Bruce Brown, who they will likely flip by the trade deadline, I would imagine. He does have another year after this, but I would trade him to a contender. Jordan Noir, the key here is three first-rounders, two 2024 first-rounders. Pacers pick likely to be, say, 16 to 20, and they get another high pick that will likely be 25 to 27 from another – it's a – a compensatory, and a 2026 first. This year's draft class from guys like Bobby Marks is not supposed to be that great, not all that deep. But 2026 could be big, you never know. But if I'm them, I'm trading Bruce Brown before the trade deadline. I'm exploring trading Jakob Pertle if I can, but I doubt they will because I don't think teams want him. I would look at trading Thad Young or any of these veterans you could buy out that teams might want to scoop up as just guys you can put on your bench. Scotty Barnes is obviously staying quickly is staying. You're not trading R.J. Barrett. You just acquired them. They're part of the future. But this is a rebuild for the Raptors. But it took too long. I don't understand why Siaka was not traded this summer. I think they could have gotten more. You could have at least gotten a roster player that you're excited about. For the Pacers, Siakam very well could stay, which is huge, because in Indiana, you're not keeping free agents unless they can give you a Supermax, because that's how it works. They're a small market. But you can pair Siakam with Halliburton, who's a stud. Benedict Matherin, a Canadian, who I'm surprised the Raptors are not getting this deal, who might be the best bench player in the NBA. Still have TJ McConnell, who they didn't have to part with, who I really like, who's great off the bench. I mean, Miles Turner is playing really good minutes at the five. This team can score points. It's not making them a finals contender, but I do think it's going to be Celtics number one, obviously. Bucks likely number two. I think the Sixers will be third. I think Pacers are now in the mix to finish fourth in the Eastern Conference and battle to get home court. That's where I look at them. That's where I see their ceiling. Right now, they're seventh, but they're only game away. Cavs are in fourth, fourth spot. I don't know what the Cavs are doing. If they're going to go for it again or keep Donovan Mitchell, they have decisions to make. The Knicks want to continue to try to get better. They got uh, OG. Obviously, I think they want another big. I think they want to keep trying to acquire talent. The Heat are sixth. They're always a scary team because they're the Heat, and they're the Zombies, and they can beat anybody. I think the Pacers, I think right now they should look at it and go, we should finish fourth in the Eastern Conference. Get home court, and if we play the Knicks in the first round, we have a puncher's chance of winning that series. Or if we play the Heat or the Cavs, whoever it might be. I don't think they should say we're going to be seventh. We're going to be playing in a in a playing game. I don't think that's what I think they're better than the Cavs. I think they can be as good as the Knicks with Siakam on this roster. But honestly, I think OG on the Knicks has been phenomenal. And I think Tom Thibodeau absolutely loves him. But will Zach Levine get moved? Will DeMar DeRozan get moved from the Bulls? The Bulls are in Toronto playing the Raptors tonight. Do the Hawks trade DeJounte Murray or try to flip Trey Young potentially? 
The Grizzlies don't have a whole lot to trade because they're all hurt. But again, they're a team that's going nowhere. What do the Jazz decide to do? They're all of a sudden a playoff team. They're all of a sudden in ninth place in the Western Conference because Will Hardy just has that team competing. Two games above 500. What do they do? Rockets, young team. I don't think they trade much. They don't have a whole lot to give up. Warriors, do they sell? They're 12th in the West. Portland. Brooklyn's 11th. What does Brooklyn do? Bridges, is he available? Kyle Kuzma at the Wizards. So decisions still have to be made. The trade deadline, the NBA, is February 8th, so they still have a couple weeks. But decisions have to be made. Pacers make a move quick. They get Pascal Siakam. And the last reverence of the 2019 NBA Championship Raptors are gone. OG, a Nick, Siakam, a Raptor. We got a fun weekend upcoming in the world of sports. We're going to be back Monday to recap it all. Hope you guys all have a great weekend. Stay safe. Enjoy. Talk to you then. This is To The Point.